Valentine's Day, someone stuck this on the pulpit. And I think, you know, it says, Jesus loves you. Probably the little girl's Sunday school class or something, but uh, I think it's probably just a low-key reminder, Mike, that it's Valentine's Day tomorrow. <clears throat> okay, so it's always Valentine's Day. He's the Sunday school answer, Valentine's Day. So tomorrow, not tomorrow, next week, um, we have the winter Bible study. So next Sunday, Monday and Tuesday is the, the winter Bible study. It's where all the churches come together, and we're going to be over at Hilltop Baptist Church. And Fred Creason is going to be talking about the life of Abraham. And if you've never heard Fred Creason, you would enjoy hearing him. He's a, he's a great teacher, and it'll just be a great time. But uh, College Heights is responsible to bring snacks that Monday night. You know, us Baptists, we can't get together without eating. So um, we have to bring the snacks on Monday night so that after he teaches, we can eat. Because, you know, we need to eat after we get taught. So if you want to bring snacks, talk to uh, Karen or Ashton um, about what that looks like to bring snacks for next Monday night, not this coming Monday. And then the baby bottle boomerang. These little baby bottles that you've all taken home for the True Care Crisis Pregnancy Center to fill up with cash checks and money orders. Um, they're due back next week uh, to put back in those things. And uh, just thank you for thank you guys for participating in that. That's a great ministry that really helps a lot of the women in this city that uh, just can't find their way out of an uh, unplanned pregnancy, and we help them do that. Um, then we're we're going to switch our our app. We have an app, and those of you that give online, you give through that app, and you're going to switch to a different app called Subsplash, and we're going to be switching on February 27th, so particularly if you're giving online, you'll need to switch to that, and we'll have some more information about that going forward, but uh, we're going to just kind of switch to a new church organization software, and, and that's going to be a help to all of us. So there'll be more about that. Then we have some summer mission trips coming up. Um, I know summer is so far away. But in reality, it's not. <laughs> it would be great if it was closer. But uh, it, it is closer. It'll be here tomorrow, as you all know. And we have two mission trips coming up. Portugal is July 11th through the 20th. And Mexico is uh, July 31st through the 6th. And Portugal will be doing a VBS with a church that we've worked with a lot over there. And uh, in Mexico, we'll be helping put together a camp. Um, there, there's a... There's a lot, lot, a lot involved with those two mission trips, so we're going to have a couple of mission, uh, mission trip meetings. Uh, February 20th, so next Sunday at 12 p.m., will be the Mexico meeting, and uh, then that same day at 4 p.m. will be the Portugal meeting. And like I said, I know a lot of people are just kind of thinking that's, that's a distant thing, but I remember that God's called our church to, to do these two mission trips, and um, he might want you to be on that team. So I hope you'll just pray about that and just come to the meeting and find out more about it and, and uh, let, God, let God work all that out to put these teams together that are going to do mission work in those places. It's such a blessing that God allows our church to do uh, mission work all over this world and um, that he, he includes us in that. So um, just be, be in prayer about that. Um, we also need two Awana workers. We could have more, but we, we, we need two specifically to come listen to verses and help the kids with verses in Sparks. That's uh, kindergarten through second grade. And we just need a couple of, couple of adults to come on Wednesday nights from 6 to 7.30 and just, just uh, help these kids say their verses. It's pretty easy. You know, there's, there's already teachers of that class that are going to kind of lead the whole thing. We just need some people to, to stand by and, and help these kids learn these verses. It's a, it's not a difficult thing and it's pretty, pretty awesome actually for you to, to do that. So, um, I hope that uh, there's a couple of people here that are feeling God's call to do that. <laughs> and then 
Lastly, um, we've been working on this love offering for a couple of our missionaries, the Toby and Cherry Curtis. They're missionaries in Alaska, and they, they, uh, they work with the indigenous peoples up there, and, and they've kind of found themselves in a place where they've, they're having to do a lot of counseling, and it's like pretty difficult counseling of abuse and trauma and things like that. And they've just realized as missionaries that they aren't equipped for that. So they're, they're needing to take this uh, uh, biblical counseling classes and there's a, a cost for that. You know, just a, just a few thousand dollars, I think, but uh, we've, we want to take a love offering to help them with that. So if you'll just take your little envelope out of your seat pocket there and uh, give to that, that'd, that'd be great. It's just a great way to bless these people. Um, they've been involved in our church for about 18 or 19 years, and they're pretty faithful servants, and uh, we just hope to be a blessing to them in that way. Let's, uh, let's stand up and uh, worship the Lord this morning. God, thank you, Lord, that you have brought us out to be your body, to be your church, to be your kingdom here on earth, God. And Lord, it's such a blessing that you have brought each and every one of us to this place this morning. It's not an accident. It's not by chance, Lord. It's by your intentional purpose in our life to, to get us to walk closer with you and trust you more. And Lord, this morning, we're going to have an opportunity to hear from you and respond. We're going to have an opportunity to worship you. And I pray that we would do it and that we would obey. In your precious name, amen. Let's begin by reading this morning. We live in a great state to see the handiwork of the Lord. Read with me. Let the glory of the Lord endure forever. Let the Lord be glad in his works. He looks at the earth and it trembles. He touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Let my meditation be pleasing to him. As for me... I shall be glad in the Lord. Let's meditate on him this morning and be glad in him.
sister how good God is. our Savior and our redemption this morning.
seated. Good morning. I hope you're enjoying the fellowship of the believers this morning together as we worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, for our Spanish group, we've come up with a flyer to invite people to our Hispanic work. So maybe some of you would like some of these to hand out to some of your uh, acquaintances or Mexican or wherever they come from. They can come from Argentina for that matter. We all speak the same language, Spanish. So anyway, I'll have those. You can ask me for those and we'll put some out at the Welcome Center and also in Oasis on the, on the desk. Anyway, we need to pray. We need to pray for um, God to move in us so that we uh, represent him well. You know, we need to be serving Christ every day, everywhere we go. Today, let's pray for true care and also for our Upward Basketball Ministries. If you were at Upward Basketball yesterday, there were a lot of great testimonies, how God's working in people's lives, and it's just neat to see people step up and share uh, the gospel with uh, people. And, of course, one of my teams won yesterday. Of course, you, you know, good coach, good kids. Except my other team didn't do so well. So thanks to Pastor Aaron, we played his team, and they beat us. So we're not talking anymore. (laughs) I'm kidding. Let's pray that God uses upward basketball for his glory. Uh, We did, somebody mentioned that somebody got saved yesterday or, or this last week. Isn't that great? Praise the Lord for that. Let's pray for all of our workers and for the kids. Father, thank you for our upward ministry. It's just so exciting every Saturday to see so many people come through. Some people don't want to hear the gospel, yet others you're calling to yourself. So I just pray that uh, we would make uh, the message clear. Help our uh, people that give their testimonies, help for, pray that others would step up and also do that. Help us to be fearless, yet uh, fear you, Lord. Lord, help us to just take the challenge and say, God, with your help, I'd love to share. Father, thank you for that one that was saved this last week. And I just pray for all of our workers in Upward Basketball Ministry. It just really is exciting to see uh, our relationship with Boyd Avenue Church and just working together and just to see what you're doing in the lives of people across our uh, city. also pray for True Care, Lord. You know all the ministry that goes on over there. Thank you that we can be a part of that. Father, we just give this service to you and say, God, use it for your glory. May your word be powerful as we look to, to you to teach us through your servant, Mike. Lord, bless him as he brings the message today. 
And uh, just may this worship time be meaningful. May we truly focus on, on your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And stand if you're able. We'll sing again this morning. If you've been doing Upward for any length of time, it's interesting how you get to see some of the same people come back year after year and get to know their stories and you see them chained by drug addiction or chained by money or chained by their positions in life. And it's good to be able to preach the gospel here and Upward each Saturday and to point them to the freedom that comes only from Christ.
Paul says in 1 Corinthians, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another.
Time for our kids to go to Super Church if they'd like to, third grade and under. They're all running out the door. They love it. <laughs> Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 6 with me this morning. That's you know, such a fantastic just song. What an incredible song. Something greater has come, something greater than we've ever known or seen. And, you know, what a, what a truth that is, and yet what a kind of neglected truth that is. I mean, for, if you are a follower of Christ today, do you live like Christ is greater? That he's greater than anything you've ever known or seen? Do you live like that through the Holy Spirit in you, you have the ability to, to walk through this world and to impact others and to have comfort and peace and hope? I mean, it's, it's crazy to me that in some ways we have this incredible if you will, resource, this incredible God that lives in us and yet we, we don't act like it. You know, for many years I've heard people say to me, you know, Christians are just weak because they need a crutch, which is Christ. And if they didn't have that crutch, they wouldn't be able to walk through this world. So they're just weak, which is completely not true. It's just not true, except the sad part is, is that a lot of Christians actually live like they have no power, like they have no strength, like they have no hope, like there's nowhere to turn. I mean, lots of different ways and lots of different testimonies that I could share about that. But 
But the simple truth is, is that we used to be weak. I mean, there was a day when we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. We could not save ourselves. There's nothing we could do to save ourselves. No good works, no religious activities. Nothing's gonna save you but faith in Jesus Christ. But once we came to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, once he made us his child, once he gave us the Holy Spirit, then man, we have all kinds of power, power to walk through trials, power to walk through confusion, power to have peace, power to have hope, power to serve. But man, we all too often, we honestly kind of walk around acting like the world's gonna close in on us and crush us or the sky's gonna fall. It's kind of scary sometimes. And yet we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, right? And we've been talking simply about what the Bible has to say about who the Holy Spirit is. He's God. About the fact that those who believe in Christ Jesus receive the Holy Spirit, right? He gives them, he sends them. He's the gift, if you will, to receive once we know Christ as Lord and Savior. And that through him, man, we can do all things, all things. And so we're gonna look this morning at our strength in troubled times. And we're gonna talk about who the Holy Spirit is as we have to walk with Christ in troubled times. But before we get there, I want us to read our passages again because these are so applicable to those that know Christ every day and they're available to those that don't know Christ yet, but they have to come to know him. So let's read these verses together. My speech and my message were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. And I, every time I read them, I read them the first service and every time I read them, I just, that's what I want. That's what we as followers of Christ should want. Now we want the Spirit of God to display himself through us so that other people might not trust in man. You know, we're so limited. Why would anybody want to trust in us? But man, God is, he's limitless and he's worth trusting, amen? Acts chapter six, we're gonna be, begin reading in verse eight. It says, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Then he stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. They put forward false witnesses who said, this man incessantly speaks against the Holy Spirit and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's so good to be here. It is so good to just sing, worship, to pray, and to open your word. We need you, Lord. Lord, you have set aside your church, every individual member of it, together in a body to bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ and God the Father and to carry out the ministry 
that Christ began on this earth. It is a blessed task. It is an incredible gift to be a part of your kingdom and your kingdom work. And Lord, we know we can't do it together or do it alone. We can only do it through you. Father, would you just open our hearts this morning to the truth of your word that we might see that you are our strength in troubled times, that we might recognize that as followers of Christ, we're going to walk through troubled times for your glory. And would you help us, Lord, prepare and be ready and be thankful as we do it? Lord, we love you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna go through quite a bit of scripture this morning and I'm gonna try to move fairly quickly, but but we come to chapter six and it's a, it's a pretty cool little chapter. I mean, we are introduced to some of the, the men that are not just disciples or apostles. These are followers of Christ that, that they need to raise up to deal with some issues in the church so that the apostles can be focused on the word of God and on prayer. And so we are introduced to these guys because of that problem. But up in chapter 6, verse 5, we're introduced to Stephen for the first time. We don't know anything about this guy. No history, no background, no nothing. But verse 5 says, Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I love that. What a great introduction. If you're going to be introduced to somebody, it'd be awesome if they said, man, this is Stephen or whatever your name is. And they're full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. I mean, what a, what a great introduction. It's, it's not hard to understand that. To be full of faith means that you believe in Jesus Christ and believe in his word and you trust him, you follow him, you're not ashamed of him. It's just simple faith, full of faith. Is God is good, God is strong, God is right, God is just, God is holy, he loves me, I'm following him. It's faith and full of the Holy Spirit. That simply means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, which also means to be completely surrendered to the Holy Spirit. They're synonymous. They're the one thing. You can't be controlled by the Holy Spirit or full of the Holy Spirit if you're not surrendered completely to him. So here is a man that believes in Christ, believes that God is powerful, believes that God is good. He's ready to go follow him, and he has the power to do that because he's letting God work in him. And so then we get to see this this kind of demonstration. I mean, you know, sometimes we talk about the Holy Spirit and, and quite honestly, we are, we are incredibly selfish people. We, we just are. When, when Christ tells the disciples that, man, you're blessed that I go back to heaven because if I do, I'll send the Holy Spirit to you, we instantly go, good, another resource for us. And he is, he is. He's our comforter, he's our guide, he's our protector. He's our healer. I mean, he's certainly a blessing to us. But when it comes to actually understanding that he's Lord, that he doesn't just want to be a resource to us, but he wants to work through us, that he created us to be a vessel of honor, useful to the kingdom, that he has a plan for us, that we're supposed to carry out and obey, we have a little different view of the Holy Spirit like, don't bother me view, right? But man, Stephen, apparently, as we read here in chapter 6, verse 8, he says, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Now, don't miss what was happening here. Stephen wasn't just walking around, gathering a crowd and doing a miracle so that everybody could go, man, Stephen, how awesome are you? 
Stephen was preaching the gospel like Christ told them to back in Acts chapter one, right? And you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. Stephen's doing what Christ told him to do. That's what the early church did. They shared the gospel. Read the book of Acts, see if that wasn't true. So he's out there sharing the gospel. And as he shared the gospel through him, God is then working to do these miracles and signs that then support the work of the gospel. This is true. And so he's out there doing what God wants him to do. And people are taking notice and he's influencing people and people are getting angry about it. Well, just so you know, if you're really going to live under the leadership and the control or faithfulness to God, you're going to be used by God in ways that people get upset about. And God's going to testify to it. And, and I know we don't really want that, but that's what's going to happen. So Peter, or Peter, Stephen is out there preaching. God's performing signs and wonders through him. But then it says, verse 9, that some men from a synagogue, they rose up and argued with Stephen. Is anybody surprised by that? Well, Probably. <laughs> You know, it really is a little bit strange to me that the American church is convinced that they can serve Jesus, but not have any trials for doing it. And when the trials for serving Jesus come, many in America just throw up their hands and like, Lord, what, what's going on here? I was serving you and now all of a sudden I've got troubles. That's not the way this is supposed to be, God. You have failed me. Isn't that right? We don't like trials. We don't like hardship. I mean, we're built for comfort, right? If you're a follower of Christ here this morning, literally most of us believe that what God wants for us is absolute comfort, no commitment, absolutely no sacrifice. We want to have life. We want to have good health. We want to have peace. We want to have prosperity. We want to have all the things that the world has while serving Jesus. <laughs> Amen, Max. You've had such comfort over the years of serving him, my friend. I know. Uh, but don't you know don't you know that the Bible says that to be friends with the world is to be enemies of Christ? The Bible's clear. You don't get to choose the world and the things of the world more than you get to choose Christ. They, they are and they're in opposition to one another. It doesn't mean that God isn't concerned about our health. He's concerned about that. He's concerned about having food to eat. He's concerned about a home to live in. But, but he's concerned about us walking with him and serving him as well. But many of us, man, we are so offended that God would ever ask us to actually do something that would cause arguments, right? I mean, can I just be honest with you? If you're more concerned about your well-being than serving Christ, the simple truth is, is that you love yourself more than you love Jesus. It's just that simple. I'm not making it up. No one serves Jesus at the rate of being persecuted or even having opposition if they don't love Christ more than they love themselves. 
And so there's a, there's a picture here of what happens when the Holy Spirit comes on this guy and he's living for Jesus and he steps out and he's doing what God wants him to do. And God is testifying to his, his ministry and testifying to the gospel and things are going really well, but that's no guarantee you're not going to have opposition. You should be ready for it. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but fear not, I've overcome the world. It's part of serving him. It's part of knowing him. It's part of having faith in him. The understanding that he's gonna take care of us no matter what we go through. Well, I love this next verse. Verse 10 says, but they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. (laughs) I love that because it's just true. I mean, here's these guys, they rise up to argue with him, but God has given Stephen wisdom and the spirit of God, God himself is living in him and they find that they can't even overcome him in their argument because he's too powerful in Christ. Then I, I, always, I always try to understand that when I'm gonna go witness to somebody or be in a different circumstance that I'm not really used to where things are difficult and when they're out of my control, quite honestly, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care if they believe me. I don't care if they want to argue with me. I don't care if they want to persecute me. I don't care because I've got Christ with me. I believe that every time I preach the gospel that God's going to do something because God does something. That's who he is. It's not me. I believe if I'm in a difficult situation, I'm going to have the wisdom I need because Christ is in me. I mean, I I really do believe that there's power in who we are. I mean, if that weren't true, why would anybody serve? Why would anybody serve? Oh yeah, that's right. Some of us don't because we're just not convinced that there is this power that if we surrender to Christ through the Holy Spirit, he can do in us what we can't do on our own. We sing about it. We sing about it. We get all excited about it. Something greater has come. Yes, he has. And he's come to you if you know Jesus Christ. Something greater has come. It's Christ in the spirit. It's God in the spirit. It's God. He's in you. And man, you can do amazing things, but you have to know him and you have to believe it and you have to be ready to serve at whatever cost. Because when they found out they couldn't stand with him in their arguments, then the Bible says they secretly induced men to lie about him. Say, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So now they're accusing him of blaspheming Moses, one of the great heroes of Judaism, if not the greatest hero of Judaism, and against God, the living God. They're saying this guy has blasphemed both. They work up the crowd and the crowd grabs him and the, and the scribes, they take him to the council, meaning the Sanhedrin, the same council that crucified Jesus. These guys are, they have all the power in Israel. They have all the power. Nobody else has more power. So they bring him before the Sanhedrin. And then it says they put forth, put forth false witnesses and say this man is incessantly speaking against the holy place and against the law. So not only are they saying he blasphemed Moses and God, but now they're saying he's speaking against the temple and against the law. Now these are serious accusations. In a nation that is built on this system of religion, if you will, on a nation that's built on this understanding that that God is God and there is no greater, I mean, they wouldn't even speak God's name. They used a different name because they were too afraid to speak his name. It was high reverence for God in Israel. 
Moses, again, was this great deliverer of Israel out of Egypt. And so people revered him. He didn't speak against Moses. The temple was the presence of God. God told him, you build the temple, my presence will dwell with you. My my Shekinah glory will be with you there. And then obviously the law, they they were convinced that if they kept the law, that's how they could be acceptable to God. And so they accused him of blasphemy and lying about the law in the temple And man, they were bringing him to the court that either tells him, shut up and don't speak anymore, or dire, dire consequences are coming. But don't you love what it says in verse 15? And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. Now, I don't really know what that looks like. First of all, I've never seen an angel, so I don't know what the face of an angel looks like. But I know what it, what it means. You're the face of an angel. <laughs> he just pointed like this. I'm like, close enough. <laughs> I know what was going on in his heart. Stephen wasn't afraid. Here's Stephen. I mean, literally being arrested, hauled before this council that had crucified Christ They're coming at him as hard as they can come. He knows if they convict him of this, man, he could die. He's not afraid. He's not filled with anxiety. He's not filled with fear. He's not filled with regret. He's just good to go. Because Christ is with him. Listen, that's, that's profound to me. I mean, there are, there are so many things that people are overwhelmed by today. There's real trials in this world. I'm not minimizing the reality of the trials in this world. I'm not minimizing the injustice in this world. I'm not minimizing the suffering in this world. It's real. Stephen was in real physical danger. It wasn't wasn't made up. Matter of fact, as we're going to see, he dies. He was in real danger. There's real grief in this world. I mean, there's really things that we have to go through that we can't handle on our own. But if God is with us, Romans 8 says, who shall be against us? But here's where it gets more difficult. Right? We have to begin to display faith in God. I'm not talking about like saying I believe in God. I'm talking about actual faith where we turn to God and find peace no matter what the circumstance is. Where we turn to God and find real strength no matter what the circumstance is. I'm talking about really having a faith in the living God that says, I can sit in the midst of my persecutors and my face will just shine because my life is in his hands. Listen, I've had people tell me, isn't there another answer? 
Isn't there another answer? Isn't there something you can give to me when my life is on the line, when my family's falling apart, when I'm facing trial or I'm facing loss and I'm overwhelmingly struggling? Isn't there another answer? But turning to Jesus, no. Most of us have tried. Haven't we tried? Try to find an answer any other way but than Christ? But then we come along and say, no, there's this living God. He lives inside us. He has all abilities. Nothing is impossible to him. He controls the world. He controls my life. My life has been appointed by him. It's in his hands. But we go, ah, I want something more. Listen, there is no more. There is nothing greater. Nothing greater. But we have to actually believe that. And I want to ask you, those of you that believe in Christ, do you have real faith? Or is your faith made up? Is your faith in something empty? I don't know what it is. But if your faith is in Christ, then you have a hope. You have a destiny. I mean, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 that we are sealed in his Holy Spirit kept for him by him for the day of redemption first peter chapter one says we have an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away kept for us in heaven by god by god i mean we have these promises that god has given us but do we believe them you want comfort you want strength you want wisdom then you have to be full of faith And you have to be full of the Spirit. Now, okay, maybe you don't have that kind of faith, but let me ask you, can't you pray and ask God for more faith? The disciples did. Can't you say, Lord, I'm struggling to surrender today. Would you help me surrender my life to you? Because he'll answer. He'll help you. Well, so we come to end of chapter 6, and then... Things get kind of crazy because the beginning of chapter 7, and I'm not going to read all these verses. I'm not going to read the first 50 verses, all right, which you're thankful for, right? But I need to tell you that you should go back and read. You should read these. I'm going to summarize these because they're important. But I want you to go back and read. Man, this is, his, this is Stephen's defense against all these false accusations. In verses 1 through 16, Stephen deals with the accusation that he blasphemed God. And he does it by recounting God's call to Abraham and the covenant that God made with Abraham. And then he extended that covenant to Isaac and Jacob and the 12 patriarchs. So it's Stephen's way of saying, look, I'm not blaspheming God. I believe in God. I know who God is. I know what he's done in our nation. But then Stephen mentions Joseph. He talks about Joseph. And literally what he begins to do is he begins to say, you men and the nation of Israel You've rejected every man that God sent to save you. And he talks about how Joseph, right, had these dreams. If you know your scripture, Joseph had these dreams. He was the youngest child. He was a spoiled child. He had the coat of many colors, dad's favorite. But he also had these dreams, two of them very similar, where basically his mom and dad and his brothers and sisters bowed down to him. And they were so offensive to his brothers and his mom and dad. And of course, you know, 
I mean, if one of my kids had a dream and said, hey, Dad, one of these days you're going to be bowing down to me. I'm like, listen, you little. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. That's unofficial. But anyway, uh, I get it, right? But it was from God. So his brothers, they reject it. They sell him into slavery. And of course, he has some really bad consequences as he goes through slavery. But eventually, he ends up second in command to only Pharaoh in the nation of Egypt. And he saves Egypt by what God shows him. And then the famine goes into Canaan where his family lives. And his dad sends the brothers that sold him to slavery to say, go buy food in Egypt. And guess who they had to go see? They had to go see Joseph. And guess what he ended up doing? Ended up saving them. But man, Stephen begins to build this case against these guys that you've always rejected the Savior. In verses 17 through 37, he dealt with the accusation of blaspheming Moses. And again, he declares himself innocent by detailing the life of Moses and showing his respect for him as a man and knew that God used Moses. But once again, Stephen shows the Sanhedrin that Israel had always rejected the man sent by God to deliver them. And he reminds them, man, Moses was raised in Egypt. And when he had the opportunity to save you, there was an Egyptian fighting with a a Hebrew, an Israelite, and Moses at 40 years old killed the Egyptian. And the Bible says that Moses thought they would know that God had raised him up to deliver them. But they didn't know. So 40 years in the wilderness later, Moses comes back to deliver them, but they rejected him just like the Sanhedrin had rejected Jesus. Well, then in verses 38 through 43, he defends his stance on the law by revealing that Israel had rejected God's law from the very beginning. And this is a very telling thing. I mean, these verses are powerful. Basically what he says in verses 38 through 43, he says, you guys were given the law, but even after God gave you the law, you still rejected the law. He says, while Moses was up on Mount Sinai, you guys built a golden calf because you didn't believe Moses was coming back. And if that weren't enough, you hauled along with you these other gods that came out of Egypt and you worshiped them all the years you were in the wilderness. You did not submit to the law, even though God gave it to you. So don't you tell me about rejecting the law. And then in verses 44 through 49, he took his stand against their accusations of him blaspheming the temple. And the first thing he does is he reminds them, you had the tabernacle in the wilderness. God was with you all the way. David had the thought we should build a permanent temple in Jerusalem, but David wasn't the man, so Solomon built the temple. But then he says in verses 48 through 50, he's quoting Isaiah 66, 1 and 2, Stephen says, however, the most high does not dwell in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne. The earth is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place is there for my repose? Was it not my hand which made all these things? And literally, Stephen is saying, God said his presence would dwell in that temple, but that did not contain God. God cannot be contained by a building. And he needed to say that because Christ had claimed to be God in the flesh. He had claimed to be one with the Father, and he wasn't contained in a building. He couldn't be contained in a building. And so Stephen has made this case 
you guys are charging me thinking that I'm the one that's blasphemed when really it's you. And man, he wasn't done. He wasn't done building a case. Now I want you to hear this again, right? We're talking about what it means to walk in the spirit. We're talking about what it means to serve Jesus. I don't believe for an instant this, is, this was just extraordinary. This is what these guys were doing. This is what we're called to do. We're called to take our stand for Christ, even if that means persecution. And in the middle of persecution, we're called to trust God to give us the words. And man, has he given Stephen some answers here. This is an incredible response to these accusations. But then down at verse 40, or 51, read with me. It says, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Oh, man. Man, he's so politically incorrect. He must not have really meant that. Because if he meant that, he was offensive to people. Oh, yeah. No, he meant it. No, God meant it. God meant it. Don't you remember Peter's first sermon after the Holy Spirit came? He gets to the end of the sermon. He talks about you crucified him. You crucified Christ, right? This is God speaking through his men. He's not afraid to say the hard things to us. We think we're gonna somehow, you know, ruin somebody by saying truth to them. But the truth of the matter is, is if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will speak truth. If you're full of the flesh, you're gonna withhold that truth. You're gonna be afraid of that truth. You're gonna make sure you don't offend anybody because you're more worried about you than you are about Christ. When you don't offend somebody, then man, you're good to go. They're gonna love you. They're gonna be friends with you. You're gonna joke with them. You're gonna have a great time, but they're they're not gonna have Christ. Man, if you wanna honor Christ, you have to speak words that bring conviction into people's lives sometimes because people need conviction. Man, if you read 2 Corinthians chapter seven, I think it's seven, or five, one of those two chapters. Terrible, I'm sorry, I'm getting old. It talks about godly sorrow, right? Paul says, man, I'm sorry that I caused you sorrow, but I'm not sorry because the sorrow that it caused you brought about repentance. And he says, godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to life, but the sorrow of the world leads to death. If you're not speaking truth to people so that they can repent and turn to Jesus Christ, then man, you're just letting them go right on down the line to hell. And that should be offensive to us, especially when we have him. Man, I've got Christ. I'm good to go. I've got a life. I've got eternal life. I'm good for heaven. But what about you? Who cares? See you later, pal. I know we don't say that, but that's what we do. So what's the difference? We don't say it, but we still do it. So that makes it true, right? Man, he's not afraid to speak up and you and I can't be afraid to speak up either. And quite honestly, when the spirit is in us, we can do this. We don't have to be mean. Stephen had the face of an angel. I don't think he looked mean. 
And man, his words, wow, were they powerful because they were the Spirit's words, right? God's words. He tells them they're stiff-necked, which means not only are they rebellious, but they're rebellious against God. He tells them they're uncircumcised in their heart and in their ears, which means they are like a Gentile, uncircumcised, unbelievers. So you guys are just like an unbeliever. He's pretty straight with these guys. He says, which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Matter of fact, they killed those who previously announced the coming of the Holy One, who you now murdered. (laughs) Man, do you not see, do you not see what it means to be filled with the Spirit? To be filled with the Spirit means you're, you're actually living and acting outside of you and kind of how you want to be and how you would act. You're living under the power of Christ and doing things that you typically wouldn't do. And the world is desperate for us to do that today. The world is desperate for us to love them enough to speak truth to them. They're desperate for us to stand for Jesus Man, the world thinks we're all weak because we don't ever stand. Have you never heard an atheist say, if it was really true that Christ died and rose again, then every Christian would be telling everybody they know, but they're not. So it must not be true. No, unfortunately, it's true. We just aren't living and trusting Christ through his spirit to speak the truth to this world. And the world knows it. That's what's scary. The world knows it. Man, Stephen, he's now brought them to a boiling point. I mean, this isn't going well. I love to look at people's faces when I preach. Some of you I read pretty well. Some of you are just stoic, you know. I can't tell a thing, but I still like to look at your face. I can tell when things aren't going so well, man. I get some great looks. I'm like, oh, <laughs> didn't know that was going to respond that way. You know what it says in the next verse? I mean, just read. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. I've never seen anybody gnash their teeth while I was preaching. Not ever. I don't really know what that means, but it can't be good. Gnashing their teeth at him? Like their anger is blowing out right now. And it says, but being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What a powerful verse. You know, people ask me all the time when they're going through persecutions or sufferings or heartaches or whatever, they ask me, where's God? Well, he's in the same place he was before the persecution started. He's in the same place he's going to be when the persecutions end. Before the loss of your loved one, God was on the throne. In the loss of your loved one, God is still on the throne. When men are gnashing their teeth at you and you know they have the power to kill you, you can look to God and see him on his throne, see Christ at his right hand. You can. He's there. He doesn't change. And what a joy it is to know that he's there. What a joy it is to know that he's right there. He's aware of you. He sees you. He cares about you. 
One of the hard things for us is that we, we think that somehow when persecution like this arises that God has forsaken us. That's not true. God has a purpose for this, this trial, for this tribulation in our lives. We just read again this morning in the book of Isaiah that he's the potter. We're the clay. He is the one who molds us and makes us and uses us for his glory. Can we trust him? We can trust him. He sent his son to die for us. We can trust him. I mentioned in Sunday school that the Bible says that God delights in the death of his godly ones. Why? Because when he calls us home, we are delivered from this broken, miserable, sin-filled world. We have like life like we've never known before. He's so good. We can trust him even in the persecution, even the suffering, even the heartache, even in the hurt. But we've got to look. That's part of the problem. We don't look. We just don't look. So he looks to heaven. He sees God. He sees the son standing at the right hand of the Lord. And he says, behold, I see the heavens opened up and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. He didn't just see it. He tells him what he sees. <laughs> and that was like the straw that broke the camel's back. He's like, you know the guy you killed? <laughs> He's standing at the right hand of the father right now. I can see him. And they were like, we're out. And the Bible says, man, they cried out with a loud voice, covered their ears, rushed at him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of the young man named Saul. We're not talking about just a simple, courageous man here. We're talking about a man so surrendered to Christ, so full of the Spirit, so, so in love with Christ He's like, you know what? I'm going to speak the truth. And I'm not afraid because my God is with me. And whatever God wants for me, be it life or death, I'm going all the way. Listen, that's a believer. He's an extraordinary example for sure. But that's a believer. You and I may not be called to give our physical life to follow Jesus. But if you're a follower of Christ, you are called to lay down your life and surrender to him, right? You and I are called to give up our will. We're called to give up our way. We're called to give up our comforts. We're called to go wherever he calls us, to give whatever he asks us to give. We're called to lay down ourselves for God's glory, believing that when we follow him, he'll give us all that we need. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And the answer is, it doesn't profit him at all. But many of us are believing if we gain the whole world and somehow little bit by little bit hold on to Jesus, we'll be better off. Nope. It's all Jesus. Let go of the world. Well, let's finish. They went on stoning Stephen, verse 59, and he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Is it not incredible to you to read these verses? Man, he, he continues to cry to the Lord. When we're going through hard things, 
The answer is to continue to cry out to God, to see us through. Cry out to God to hear our prayers. Cry out to God to comfort our hearts. Cry out to God to minister to our needs. Cry out to God as the stones are pelting him. And then he says, Lord, here's my spirit. Take me. I trust you. Take me. If that weren't enough, as he falls to his knees, he says, Lord, don't hold this against him. Is that not incredible? Is that not this verse? Is this not what we do when the Holy Spirit moves through us? When we speak, it's displaying the power of God speaking through us. When we love, it's displaying the power of God loving through us. Is it not incredible to see a believer who says, my life is in your hands, Lord, and if this is the day you want me, then I'm willing Take my spirit, trust you. Man, he is our strength in troubled times if we turn to him. The sad part is today that quite honestly, we just don't do that very often. I mean, shoot, when people get sick, the first thing they do is Google their symptoms until they find what they think is the answer on some medical site. That's wise. And yes, I'm kind of mocking those of you that do that. Why not pray first? Why not actually trust God? Why not when you do go to the doctor, say, all right, Lord, I know this guy's just a doctor. He has some wisdom, but he doesn't know all wisdom. So if you want him to know what's going on with me, why don't you tell him? Or why don't you just heal him? Whatever you want him to trust you, why not? Man, believer, Some of us today need to say, Lord, give me more faith. Help me surrender to your spirit. Do a work in me that can never be done by anybody else, any way else, and do it every day. Wouldn't it be awesome? Be filled with spirit every day. Serve the Lord every day. Some of you are here and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. And man, he's, he's this incredibly good Savior who loves you, gave his life for you. He longs for you to know him. He longs for you to to be forgiven through him. But you have to believe in him. You have to confess him as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. You have to come to him. Just call out to him. Say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sins. Make me your child. And he will because he loves you. But we have to respond, right? We have to respond. We have to step out by faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for giving us examples of what it means to be filled with your spirit and the power of your spirit and the security of your spirit, the hope that we receive in Christ that no matter what happens to us, Lord, you're never gonna leave us or forsake us. You are a good comforter. You are a good deliverer. You are the only one that can overcome death. You're the only one that can minister to the broken heart today. I pray that you would. You're the only one that can calm the fears and the anxieties that we carry in this world, and I pray that you would. You're the only Savior. You're the only one that can wash the sins of of our sins away, Lord. 
and make us new and make us your child. And I pray that you would. Lord, may we come to you by faith today and every day. And may you get, get glory through that. Then we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing. Our pastors will be down front. We would love to pray with you or answer your questions. You can come pray just at the altar by yourself if you'd like to. Just kneel down and spend time with the Lord. But let's respond to him this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We give you praise. Lord, we ask for you to do a work in our lives. Help us be compassionate and yet courageous. Help us be unashamed of the gospel and yet speak, Lord God, with love. Help us be a people, Lord, that that are filled up by your spirit, controlled by your spirit, full of faith. Help us go into this world and and shine Christ and share Christ so that those without you could be saved. Please minister to us as well, Lord God. Please touch our lives where we're struggling, where we're hurting, where we're weak. Give us all that we need, Lord, as we cry out to you. And may you be exalted as you show yourself to us. And please, Lord, bless every single man and woman, every single boy and girl, Just bless them. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.